and welcome to Combat Thoughts. I'm Robbie. I'm Lee. And I'm Alex. We're going to take a deeper look at culture and philosophy behind martial arts. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Combat Thoughts. This week we have a very special guest on. We are speaking to none other than the Raspberry Ape, Dan Strauss. Dan is obviously one of the biggest names in UK Jiu-Jitsu. He is possibly the first ever Brit to qualify for ADCC. And we have a great discussion about strength within Jiu-Jitsu. We have a discussion about uh, his personal journey and, and then discussing stone lifting and grappling as part of our sort of shared cultural heritage so i hope you enjoy um i realized a little while ago that i've um ac- we accidentally nicked your entire podcast setup um <laughs> i didn't realize this until i was listening to the one with um dan hardy and you were basically like oh the best place to start is at the beginning so what we normally like to do is go through people's entire martial arts history or anything before that and we'll riff off of anything interesting within there so um dan could you start at the beginning <laughs> well first i'm sure that i'm not the first person to uh to, to to go with that format you know it's nothing particularly outside the box to go chronologically uh in terms of my uh martial arts story um you know it's not it's not particularly exciting i basically uh fumbled around with a few different martial arts uh as a teenager and uh found japanese jiu-jitsu at 14 15 years old Long story short, at the time, um, Nick Brooks, who would become my jiu-jitsu instructor or my my Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor and continues to be to this day, uh, he had already, he was a Japanese jiu-jitsu black belt co-owning this uh, Mill Hill jiu-jitsu club, um, but by this time had already found the light, so to speak, of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and grappling. So he'd stopped doing all of the uh, rubbish uh, traditional martial arts stuff, and he would just use the mat space to roll in the corner. One day comes along, and the other instructor leaves, and Nick takes over and slowly transforms the uh, Mill Hill jiu-jitsu club into Mill Hill Brazilian jiu-jitsu club. And that is how I got started. Is is that the one that's still running today? It is still running today. Yeah, it is the same club, yeah. No, oh, I didn't realize that. I've never heard of a gym um, transitioning from traditional to Brazilian jiu-jitsu in that way before. Yeah, that's what happened. It was uh, it was a Japanese jiu-jitsu club and, and Nick took over and there was probably a, I'd say that there was a number of months period somewhere between probably around about six months period, maybe a little bit less. You know how your time, time is distorted when you're a when you're a little bit younger. Uh, but there was a period of time yeah. where it was sort of a hybrid sort of thing he'd do some japanese jiu-jitsu stuff we do a bit of brazilian jiu-jitsu stuff we do some stick fighting some knife fighting everything uh and then one day um he we were in the car so he used to take me to train in milton Keynes with a guy called um ebby and um Braulio used to go down there and Victor used to go down there and um, Octavio used to go down there. So that's where I was first really got into pure Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And then one time on the on the way back and it was just like, screw it, we're going to go full Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. We're going to get rid of everything else. And then it was Mill Hill BJJ. Uh, what was the motivation for getting into martial arts in the first place? Were you um, out for blood, bullied as a child, one of the classic stories? 
No, I can't say that I was bullied as a child. Um, I I just was really interested by it, you know. I think um, a lot of people train martial arts as a kid. You know, we're talking single-digit age. Um, I never did anything like that. My, uh, my mum specifically was not keen on me doing any sort of martial arts or anything or didn't like any violence. Um, so when I got to my mid-teens I got really interested in it and then wanted to go do it so that's how I kind of got into it through not kind of I think sometimes if you train when you're very young the novelty can be taken away and then you you don't really have any interest to do it when you're older but that didn't happen to me so I was keen I was interested it was the early days of the internet and I was researching stuff and watching Dragon Ball Z and thought that I uh, wanted to do some martial arts I was gonna say like what were there any people in particular that you uh, gravitated towards because I know like for myself it's always Bruce Lee <laughs> yeah Bruce Lee is obviously a big one no nope, but Goku. I'm guessing for yourself no so Dragon Ball Z Dragon yeah. Ball Z yeah I was never super into um interestingly enough I was never super into martial arts films massively I was kind of more the uh Jackie Chan Jet Li era um but yeah i definitely say that dragon ball z was a big motivator i think i was maybe a touch <laughs> too late for uh for for bruce lee um but yeah, yeah that's fair yeah so what was the what were your goals with brazilian jiu-jitsu because i i know you initially had an idea about mma but you never really took that up um so you know what what happened there yeah, so, um, you know, early on in me training, and I, I'm not sure exactly which came first. I think they came at pretty much the same time uh, that I was started training at least the Japanese jiu-jitsu stuff and probably the Brazilian jiu-jitsu stuff as well. But around about that time, I started watching MMA and uh, the UFC used to play on... Um, God damn it, I can't even remember what the channel was called now. It was when it used to be on Spike in America and it used to be on... I can't remember what. Do you remember what channel the early UFC events were on? In the UK. In the UK, yeah. This is mm. this before my time. I got into it with uh, McGregor, unfortunately. I'm oh man, are you serious? I didn't realize you were that uh, you were that late to the game. Yeah, the first yeah, matches man. I remember watching was um, uh, you know UFC. I think it was thirty five brawl in the Royal Albert Hall um, mm. with uh, with with. Um, uh, God, it's late. Uh, Ian Freeman. Uh, Matt mm. Hughes was my go-to guy. He was the champion at the time. He was beating people up. I remember watching the first um, Robbie Lawler versus Nick Diaz match. And and uh, Robbie was very early in his career there. He was very young, you know, in his late teens or even early 20s. Um, and he was one of my favorite fighters because the guy was just vicious, pretty much how he continued the rest of his career. So, yeah, th those are the days when I first started watching and then I got really interested in Pride. And, you know, people don't realize mm. that up until when Pride went bust in, in um, you know, got to be the, the, the mid-noughties, uh, uh, the UFC was considered the inferior organization. It's so hard to fathom a time where the UFC was uh, not hmm. this global MMA monopoly, uh, but pride was very much considered, you know, they, they would sell out arenas with 
80, 90, 100,000 people in them. And, you know, it was considered that all of the best fighters would be in Japan and they would be paid way more. They'd be way more famous. You know, they'd have these big Grand Prix, these big tournaments. Um, so, yeah, I was super in the pride back in the day. And, and, and I used to download highlight videos from LimeWire and watch them on repeat. I probably mm. still got them on my computer with a load of viruses somewhere. But, yeah, that's, that, <laughs> that, that's how I got interested in MMA. And as you rightly said, you know, originally I was interested in competing in MMA myself. Um, and then as time went on, I got more and more into jiu-jitsu and didn't want to do MMA. Uh, and then I got to an age where I thought, only stupid people do MMA. No offense to anyone who does MMA, but I wasn't looking to get punched in the head for a living. Not right. up my street. <laughs> but did you, you... Sorry. I was going to say, do you ever regret not having that chance? I mean, I, I, I agree with the not getting punched in the head. Yeah, I, I've, I've come to that conclusion in the, like, in the past year that I'm like, oh, everyone else came to this conclusion years before me that getting punched in the head is not a good idea. I also have, but I'm also glad that I did it in the first place. Uh, no, I, I have no, I have no <laughs> regrets for not competing in, in MMA. Um, I, the more I'm involved in MMA, the more I'm sort of glad with my decision not to it's just not for me you know i see what these guys guys go through i sort of as you get older you start to respect your health more and um you you know when, when you're young you think that you're invincible and it's almost a, a matter of pride to get punched in the head you want to get punched in the head because that's how tough and how hard you are uh but the reality is is that getting punched in the head messes you up and i don't want to get messed up and i'm glad i never got punched in the head that much you didn't always have that attitude to health being um, the sort of same importance on health, though, did you? You used to wear it as a bit of a badge of pride, getting all beat up in jujitsu, at least. Yeah, absolutely. You've listened to some other podcasts I've been on. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, 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 I speak about this. Uh, I spoke about this quite a lot recently um, about how I feel that uh, jujitsu has a cultural issue with. Um, taking pride in being injured um i think for professional athletes and really high level athletes there's a certain amount of uh, inevitability with that where you can't you know, you know lo longevity and high performance do not go hand in hand it's a it's a sad reality actually that very often to perform on the highest level the sacrifice that you make is that you um, you don't have a very long or functional life, one or the other or either. Um, you either die young or you are pretty much crippled. You know, you watch some guys. A great example, for example, is like uh, watching Ronnie Coleman and uh, how messed up he is and double hip replacements and huge back surgeries. And this is the price that you pay. And I think when you're young, you... Um, don't think about what you're going to be like when you're 40 or 50. And then as you get closer, as you hurtle closer towards that age, you start to respect it a little bit more. And, you know, I kind of understand it for a Ronnie Coleman. You've got to go with Ronnie Coleman. You go, you know what? You, you know, you're, you're, you're mangled. You are messed up. The quality of your life from now on is going to be very, very low. But at least you, you'll go down in history as a legend. You know, maybe that sacrifice mm. was worth it. But for a hobbyist, practitioner that, that's not worth it there's no glory really in 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 any of that stuff so 
you know, I think that there's this balance between performance and health or longevity and functionality of your body. And if you want to be a high performer, which I do, but at the same time, I want to be high performing without sacrificing too much of my health. Um, and then there'll be people who actually don't care about performing to a, a physical standard that I want to perform to who actually should prioritize the health even more. And there'll be some people who should prioritize the health significantly more than they prioritize their performance. These, these are your hobbyist guys, your older guys, the guys who are never gonna, you know, they're never gonna do anything other than doing martial arts or jujitsu or grappling or whatever, just for the love of it. And if you're doing it for the love of it, then make sure that you can do it until you're old. Hmm. Um, what about, you know, um, go, maybe going <clears throat> back into your chronological uh, progression, like how, how did you decide to become a competitor actually in the first place? How did you, was there a slow progression of, um, you know, competing at lower belts and eventually you're like, yeah, this is kind of the thing that I want to do. Um, or, or was it more of a conscious decision that this is, I'm going to become a professional jujitsu athlete, let's say. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to jiu-jitsu, when, when we talk about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, we talk about grappling, we're talking about a sport. We're talking about something that is designed and, and uh, you know, this is very of this is very different from how it was designed originally when it was done by the Gracies back in Brazil in, you know, the, the late 80s and 90s, where... Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu first came out, or Gracie Jiu-Jitsu at the time first came out of Brazil, it was a um, self-defense, very highly based self-defense. And it was for fighting on the street. It was for fighting in Valetudo, or what would become MMA. And uh, there were some elements of, of, of the pure sport of Jiu-Jitsu. It's very different now. You know, for me personally, um, like, and, and there's still some guys with an old school attitude, and I totally respect it. Uh, uh, because there'll be some people out there who are interested in it, but I don't care about self-defense really. You know, that, that, that's, it's just not something that concerns me. You know, maybe I've never had issues with it. You know, I feel like I could handle myself on the street with my sport jujitsu skills, um, just plenty fine. I've been lucky that I've not had to test that theory. Uh, but I don't care about self-defense. I don't care about any of that other stuff. We do a sport. And uh, when you do sports, you compete in them. That's how it works. So I, I think anyone who does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and they don't ever compete, I think that they're doing um, a very small part of it. I think it's very important to, um, you, you know, I, I was I was speaking to a guy today who was asking me about um, affiliating under me. And uh, I'm very particular with who I agree to work with. I don't charge any money for my affiliates. So, um, you know, you, you know, it's very relationship based and it's very mutually, um, beneficial for both of us. Um, because they're not just a paycheck like it is for a lot of other people. So I've had seven or eight people approach me to be affiliated under me and I only have one at the moment. So I'm very, very particular. And one of the questions that I asked, um, the guy that I was speaking to today, and something that I've asked people in the past, um, you know, that, that, but in both these occasions, there were brown belts. And I said, have you, you know, have you competed? And they, and they said, no, I go, I'm probably not going to give you a black belt if you don't compete. And it's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. I will, you know, is that a rule that I'm a hundred percent, 
you know, uh, willing to, uh, never willing to compromise on? Not necessarily. I think there are mitigating circumstances. But if you're a brown belt and you haven't competed um, ever, or if you're a brown belt and you haven't competed since blue belt or white belt, I'm probably not going to give you a black belt. I think that it's really, really important for me uh, as, as you, you know, when someone wants to affiliate with me, that I need to make sure that our philosophies match up really, really, uh, uh, you know, we're aligned on our philosophy of training and um, jujitsu and grappling in general and competition's a big part of that. So I'm completely off topic on what you actually asked me, but I'm just trying to emphasize that, that, that competition, right, that's really is, interesting. Yeah, competition is something that is, and it's just because I was having the conversation today and it made me think about it. Um, and com- competition is something that comes very natural. It, it's just part of my ingrained belief of what grappling is. Uh, so in terms of my own personal journey, I started competing because, and I think that comes down from Nick, you know, Nick was a competitor. He was an amateur boxer who had had many boxing matches beforehand. He was a very avid competitor. You know, a lot of people who were kind of new to the game. There was a, there was a point of time where actually Nick Brooks was one of the top guys in the country in terms of competition. Uh, he was flying out to Brazil every year. He was competing in the Europeans in Lisbon every year before it was such a big tournament that everyone goes to. Um, and he instilled the, 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 the philosophy about the importance of competition in me from a very early age and a very early training age, uh, you know, early on in my training. So yeah, I was competing from very early on. And, um, you know, in terms of how that you, you mentioned as well, I wanted to, when did I realize that I wanted to do it full time? Well, when you're 14, 15, 16 years old and you're training jujitsu and you love it, you don't want to do anything else. You go, I want to do this full time and, um, you got to compete. There are very few people out there who uh, manage to make uh, a career or living out of jiu-jitsu without competing. Interestingly enough, of course, not because you get paid to compete because you kind of don't. Very, 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 Mm -hmm. very few people in the world can compete, um, can um, make enough money to live purely from competition. But of course, what competing does is it gets your name out there and it gets your brand out there and it gets people interested in training with you. And that's how you leverage an income. So um, the, the competition came very natural and it's always a step up, step up, step up. It's a natural progression. Um, but yeah, it kind of just, uh, it was all very organic. Well, I think the thing about that, even those people who don't compete, they still usually need someone underneath them to compete for them i mean the most obvious one is danaher of course because he's not competed himself but has obviously developed those techniques himself and then other people have gone out to demonstrate them i think that it's part of just showing that what you're doing is legit yeah i think uh danaher is almost the exception that proves the rule um there were very i say that there aren't many Danahers out there. Danaher is an outlier, very much an outlier in 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 how jujitsu has worked and the right place at the right time, working with the right people, um, you know, working with some of the best guys in one of the best gyms in the world and working with MMA fighters that originally got his profile very high and then being at Henzo, uh, Henzo Gracie Academy where he was gift you know kind of in a way gifted these incredible athletes who wanted to put in so much work and effort that he could develop into great grapplers so um you're 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 taking a look if you want to do jiu-jitsu full-time you're taking a big risk in life uh in general (laughs) because it's tough 
but if you want to try and do jiu-jitsu full-time without ever stepping on the mats to compete, then good luck to you because that does not happen very much for a lot of people. There are very, very few people that can make that work for them. Uh, but yeah, you're right. If you can't rep when you compete from from a sort of a, a business or a branding or an exposure perspective what you're doing when you compete as an individual is you're exposing uh, eyes to your brand of jiu-jitsu and you're getting people to be interested in what you have potentially to teach that's not to say you know people sometimes think that a great competitor always makes for a great coach which isn't the case a lot of the time mm. uh but sometimes it does um but yeah so you're right if you don't if you're not going to compete yourself, then how are you, anyone going to, you know, be interested in your jujitsu? Then you'll need someone to compete for you and represent you. But the question is, um, how are they, those people going to start training with you in the first place if uh, you don't have any exposure or anything like that? So definitely a much, much harder route to travel down if you don't want to compete and you want to teach jujitsu full time, but not impossible. And regarding yourself, I mean, competition seems like, you said that if you're not doing competition, you're only doing a, a smaller part of jujitsu. Obviously, at some point, you are going to have to stop competing. I mean, this is a sad truth that we all are. Yeah. What's are, are you going to be as motivated then? Is there what what will your thoughts on jujitsu be at that point? Yeah, that that's a good question. I want to clarify um, sort of the, the what you're referring to from what I said. I don't think that competing uh regularly is a necessity i think it is important to have competed i think that you and it, it could be one time it could be once a year it could be five times or it could be loads and loads of times i don't think it's necessarily vital to the grappling or jiu-jitsu experience to always be competing even though uh for me that's where i am right now that's where uh you know back when i was teaching full-time at mill hill um, I, you know, on a couple of occasions when I had a, a big class around me, I said, you know, hands up if you are, uh, either compete regularly, want to compete in the future. Um, you, you know, basically that do basically hands up if you consider yourself a competitor, either currently, or you want to be, and almost every single person in the room put their hand up. And that is not very common for a lot of places that you go to, but that was the mentality that I bred. That was the way that I, you know, your, your sort of the, the, the cliche saying your vibe attracts your tribe. And that was my vibe. And that was my tribe. You know, I was a competitor and I was training people in a competitive way. So the people that, um, uh, navigated their way towards me um, were people who always uh, also wanted to compete. That's not to say that it's necessary to do that all the time, not at all. And I don't think that the jujitsu experience as a whole is any less valuable if you don't compete regularly. But I think if you have never competed, um, I think that you have um, you haven't done jujitsu. Pro properly honestly i believe that and that that's an opinion that i hold now and it's a very strong opinion uh but uh or, or maybe not strong opinion but an extreme opinion it may be something that i could change my mind in the future when i'm older and not competing and i maybe understand what some of these other guys uh, uh are talking about when they say they don't want to compete but i believe you know pe people don't want to compete because it's a horrible experience a lot of the time. Uh, for some people, it's a much more horrible experience than others. For some people, it's 
pretty much the worst experience that they could ever imagine in their life. Some people suffer very, very badly with competition, nerves or anxiety, and it's a horrible, unpleasant experience. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You know, I, I think that it's important to, uh, that when, when it comes to, you know, like I said earlier, that I wouldn't give a black belt to someone who hasn't competed. I believe in that. And the reason why I believe in that so strongly is because how could you talk to someone who wanted to compete? How could you speak to them from a place of wisdom and a place from experience, a place of experience and understanding? How could you console their nerves when you haven't done that thing? And that's what it comes down to. You know, I personally, I lead from the front when I compete. One of my favorite competitions I ever did in my life was the English Open. I think it was 2000 and. 17 or 18 when I won uh, weight and absolute the English and I went there and, and the reason it was my favorite competition was because I you know I won weight and absolute with all subs which is great but the fact why I loved it so much is because I had all, all of my team with me all competing um, and we really went together and I was able to you know usually leading from the front is training with the guys and competing on a polaris or a big show and having those guys come and watch and then taking them to another tournament on the occasions when i've able when i've been able to compete alongside my team that is the greatest feeling because i truly feel mm. like we're all there together and i'm leading from the front and that's the sort of uh, mentality that i want from my affiliates because that you know it, it, there are plenty of people out there who don't share this same opinion with me and maybe they're going to be better suited for looking after your gym. But I believe that if you haven't competed, then you can't deal with. And, and, and again, we go back and we talk about Danaher and we go, well, Danaher is doing a pretty good job talking to his competitors. It just it, 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 he is such an outlier that um, it's sort of a complete exception to the rule. And it kind of doesn't count at all. You've got to take him out of the mm. equation. When, when, you know, whenever you're looking at data, when you have a huge anomaly in any place, you take the anomaly out because if, if there isn't a pattern of, 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 lots of, uh, of, of lots of those data points close to each other, the anomalies have to be disregarded. And, and he's someone who has to be disregarded. It's of my personal opinion on these, um, you know, on these gyms who don't have, a Henzo Gracie on the lead or, you know, a, a big team of Gracies and loads of experienced competitors and all of these other guys that could be leading them and helping them when it comes to what it's like to compete. Uh, when, when you're a small gym, a local gym in the UK, um, it, it, it's a really, really important thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's a controversial, um, controversial opinion. I think, I think it does make sense. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of people would would, would give the Danaher argument, but it, it's absolutely right that he's such an anomaly. Maybe I don't know. Maybe his his uh, good uh, re like good view of of philosophy is is like of of big help when he talks to people about you know how how he spoke how he speaks to his athletes uh, about competition. But again, yeah, it's it's such a outlier that it's it's hard to yeah like justify not doing it um it totally makes sense that if you if you want to teach someone you you want to um have people under you that that you 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 have done it yourself mm. we did a um we did a podcast a while ago talking about does a coach need to have competed and we were more focused on mma at the time we so we talk about spoke about um 
Jackson Wink, the fact that neither of those guys have competed in MMA, we kind of came to the conclusion that it's more about sort of understanding what your athletes are going through. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to compete. But I guess there are always ways to get to that mindset without having done it firsthand. Yeah, uh, there is, you know, and I think that, again, you're talking about uh, when you're talking about MMA in general and you're talking about these big gyms and you could you could make the similar argument for Danaher and Henzo's and stuff like that. You're talking about uh, professional MMA academies. For the most part in MMA, uh, coaches often haven't competed, although sometimes they do come from a competing background. Um, And there's certainly going to be a different relationship. But when you train in a big professional MMA gym, you are going to be surrounded by highly experienced people. Um, You're going to be surrounded by people who fight, surrounded by people who who know from experience what it's like to compete on the highest level when you're um in a small local jiu-jitsu academy in the uk there's a good chance that the most experienced person that you're going to have on the mat is going to be the instructors and uh for that reason i think it's more important for them to have gone through the experience so i think mma is slightly different with that because mma here's the big difference between mma and jiu-jitsu is Jiu-jitsu is easy. Everyone can do it. Everyone can compete. You know, we, we, uh, I've seen videos. I've watched people. I've been to Brazil. In Brazil, you go and watch these like seven Dan, 60, 70-year-old men competing in the Tijuca Tennis Club. And you go, you know what? So you're 37. You're banged up a little bit. You get a bit nervous before you compete it's a grappling tournament. Like I don't care if you go. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't care if you go, you, you, you shake hands with your opponent and you get tapped out in 15 seconds. I really don't care about what happens. And, 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 um, you, you know, it's, it's not about winning. It's not about proving yourself. You know, if we're talking about in the context of you're a brown belt and I'm not going to give you a black belt until you compete, I don't want you to go and win the British Open at brown belt to prove to me that you're that level because I, I, I will consider you black belt level whether you compete or not. This is completely ir- irrespective. You might be a much higher level and, and, and not win a tournament. You must be, might be a much lower level and win a tournament. Neither of these things are going to have any... Um, uh, are going to have play any factor into whether I grade you or not. Um, I don't care if you go there and you get your ass kicked 10 times over in a round robin format. The fact is that you've gone out there and you've done it and you've put it on the line. And that's what's important to me. And there's no excuse to not compete in grappling, in my opinion, uh, in very, very, very rare circumstances where you have a reason not to compete, but they're very rare. Whereas in MMA, Every single person alive has a reason not to want to do MMA. That is a dangerous sport <laughs> where you can get hurt. Uh, you don't play around in MMA. That's serious. So um, I think holding coaches in MMA and grappling to a, a different standard when it comes to competing is is very important. Yeah, I mean, we we have we know someone, <clears throat> a friend of the podcast that recently fought, and I think it was like maybe his second oh. pro fight, and he 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 had a fractured skull broken nose uh, and this is at a pretty low level you know it's uh you 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 might know the the organization it's uh golden ticket fight promotion yeah i, I do yeah yeah and so so that's like you know it's not exactly the ufc it's not even bellator and and you can get hurt to that level so it totally, <laughs> totally let me tell you right let me saying. tell you something when when it comes to mma 
um, the level that you're competing at is completely irrelevant. Getting kicked in the head is getting kicked in the head. Whether you get kicked in the head in front of a, a crowd of 20,000 people on pay-per-view or whether you get kicked in the head in front of 15 people in a, in a nightclub um, and on the prelims of a tiny local show, getting kicked in the head will give you brain damage all the same. So uh, yeah, man, you know, I've been, and it's something that I've learned. I learn more and more uh, at the moment because I've been uh, com- commentating for Cage Warriors for the last couple of years and we've done loads of shows and man, I've seen, I've seen people get kicked in the head and they've lost, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've lost a day like that. And, wh- I, and I mean, they don't remember getting on the plane. They don't remember waking up in the morning. They don't remember anything. <laughs> nah, that's it, scary. It, 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 it makes you go, yeah, this, this isn't playing around. That doesn't happen in grappling. Do you have, do you have maybe, do, do, do you have almost like more respect for those people that they go through that or like, what is your sort of view on it? Cause I, I don't know what to think. I don't know if I have respect or not <laughs> for people taking that amount of risk. Yeah. It, it's a good question, man. I, I do respect the guys and, uh, I've always, you have respect- to respect the work for sure. I've always respected people that would step into the cage and do this. Um, you know, <laughs> I guess when it comes to, you got to ask yourself, are these people doing it because uh, they understand the risk involved and they're doing it anyway, or are they doing it because they don't know what the risks are involved in the first place? Uh, but yeah, my respect for anyone, honestly, my respect for anyone that will step on the mat in any, or step in the cage, on the mat, in the ring, anyone who competes in any combat sport has my respect people who compete in a combat sport where you can really get hurt, such as boxing and kickboxing, Muay Thai and MMA. Um, they have a huge amount of respect for me because there's not a lot of people out there who can go through that and do it. So absolutely. Mm. Um, sorry, Robbie, go ahead. No, go, go on, Alex. Um, I was just going to ask, cause we've been talking a lot about competitions and you kind of mentioned that uh, you, one of your favorite competitions was during the English open when you had your team around and, and so on. Like what, what actually is your favorite format? Because you, you know, you're, you're Polaris veteran, uh, and so on. So like you commentate there also, what is your sort of favorite competition format? Is it actually the, the classic way, you know, like IBJJF type tournament or? Yeah. Yeah. I've competed on all sorts, uh, from crazy formats that don't even exist anymore in the very early days of grappling to, you know, e- I've done EBI, quintet, even, yeah. I've done quintet, I've done squads, I've done uh, IBJJF, I've done ADCC. Um, yeah, I've, do- I've pretty much done them all. I don't know, to be yeah. honest with you. I don't know what my favorite format is. Um, I can tell you when I had the best time. Uh, quintet You're was right. really awesome. I really enjoyed. You know, you know what? It's a funny one with sort of with all of these different formats. And I think this is the reality. I don't think there is necessarily a best format. I think it comes down to the matchmaking. It comes down to the event. I've had, um, if, you know, I had a quintet event where I loved it and it was the best event of my life. And I had another quintet event where I really hated the rule set and I had a really short match because of the weight difference. And that was it me done for the day. Um, I have done EBI at EBI um, where the opponent just kind of gamed the system and was able to, to, to beat me on overtime, even though I trashed him during the mid, the, the main part of the match because he played it smarter. Uh, and then I've had EBI overtime where I've won EBI overtime. And then 
I've done ADCC where the rules are played against me and I've done ADCC where the rules are played for me and IBJJF where the rules, you know, every single format there is, I've had matches where the format has been, oh, this is amazing. This is great. And then um, matches where that format has worked against me. So uh, I think that the, the format actually matters less than people think. Um, what I like is what I don't like is when a format becomes stagnant um, and you have an individual who's able to use gamesmanship and uh, a sort of uh, understanding of the a combination of an understanding of the rules to a deep enough level and then the willingness to sort of take advantage of some of the potential loopholes in a rule set in order to get a potential advantage over their opponent. Uh, but again, that comes down to the individual. You'll have plenty of people who won't do that and then you'll have people who will do that. So um, to answer your question, as I answer most questions without giving a, a very straight answer, um, I think I think all formats have their place. I'll tell you what the best format is. The best format is going to be the chess grappling format that I'm going to be running next year. <laughs> yeah, you're doing that. Is that the next Cleos? Oh, yeah, 100%. So, talking about formats and Cleos, I am uh, chess grappling is something that I came up with recently, but I'm definitely going to do. Cleos, uh, uh, we are going, uh, or something I've wanted to do for ages. I think I've spoken about it on my podcast. I've spoken, spoken about it on a few other podcasts. Why not speak about it on this podcast? Because I think we're actually going to do it. I don't know if it's going to be the first Cleos <laughs> event back, uh, even though we are going to do Cleos again. Uh, it might be the second Cleos event back, but I've always wanted to mess around with the formats because what tends to happen, and you know, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for 16 years now, and you'll have a format that works and then everyone copies that format and then another exciting format will come on or EBI overtime. There was a two-year period where everyone was doing EBI overtime and then Quintet came out and everyone was doing Quintet format. I don't want to copy someone else's format. I want to come with some crazy new format that makes people, you know, that doesn't give people a chance to think and game the system and then before they've thought about it, it's time to change the format again. So as well as running the, the regular Cleos competitions, we're going to be running at Cleos Concepts, which is just going to be some crazy uh, new formats. The first one, and one that I'm really excited about doing, I'm not sure if you've heard me talk about it before, is a format called the Big 15. Have you heard about this? This the is big me. 50. This is going to be, I'm telling you, it's going to be fun because I don't care about anything else. I just want to <laughs> make it fun, especially at Cleos is all about having fun. We're going to do Cleos concepts, the big 15. The 15 is the number of points that you can get if you do every position in grappling. Okay. So three, <laughs> you know, so three points for a guard pass, okay, four right. points for mount, four points for back, uh, sweep or takedown. We're counting as one thing. And then um, uh, neon belly as well. If you add all of those up, you get 15. So basically, it's going to be a, a regular match where you can score these points in a regular format, but you can only score them once. And if you score the big 15, if you get all 15 points, then that is it. Game over. That counts as a submission. And uh, there's confetti and fireworks and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and air horns and stuff like that. So I think it will be a really cool format. So that's just something we're going to play around with because... I, um, you know, grappling, you know, we, we, you spoke about Bruce Lee earlier and sort of one of the quotes about you pour, you know, you pour water into a jar and it becomes the jar. You pour it into a 
vase and it becomes a vase and stuff like that. And I think grappling's the same. You pour grappling into a format and it molds and it does that format in this way. And you pour grappling into another format. You pour it into EBI and it looks like this. You pour it into sub only, no time limit. It looks like this. You pour it into IBJJF, you, it looks like that. And the beauty of grappling is that grappling will prevail and grappling will look in slightly different but it will still be a form of grappling so why not tinker around with the shape of the container that you can pour it into so that's what we're going to do this is one of the things i thought is the big strength uh, of jujitsu and actually the fact that it's not got a um unified governing body is the fact that i mean jujitsu is not the ibjjf rule set Jiu-jitsu is grappling with submissions with a focus on the ground. I guess that's the only way I would describe it. I always find it, and I like the fact that people can come up with their own crazy rule sets and different point scoring. And, you know, I like the fact that Naga is different to IBJJF and then grappling industries decide to throw in reaps and leg locks and stuff. I think it's a massive strength of the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 this is certainly something that we've seen more over the last five six seven years you know the ibjjf did certainly have a much bigger stranglehold on jiu-jitsu and it, it 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 was what would happen in the ibjjf would affect how people trained you know that's what you don't kind of don't want to happen but it's going to be very natural whatever is the biggest organization is how people are going to train and they're going to train for that rule set and there will be gyms that will train with ibjjf rules and there'll be gyms that will train for different rules and you know the the, the sort of emergence of no gi and the increase in popularity of no gi versus the gi over the past five or six seven years uh, means that the ibjjf have sort of lost that monopoly of the rules that would be a time where every single tournament that you'd ever go to would be ibjjf rules with no exceptions maybe an adcc trials or something would be the exception now there's a huge split between um especially no gi in the gi for the most part things are going to be ibjjf rules but especially no gi we have so many different uh different formats um of rules that it's really really great so i agree with you i think it's great that we have all of these different things for people that because it keeps the sport able to evolve and be free you know look look at what what's happened the judo um by uh you, you know the the you know by judo having all of its control controlled by the ioc means that they make huge changes to the rules that may not be for the better. So I'm glad that we, even if we do, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a governing body as long as there's still people free to frolic, frolic in the, uh, in, 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 in the creative space outside of that as well. Yeah. We've, um, bashed the judo changes from the Olympics, uh, quite a few times so i think we should probably not do that again because <laughs> we've just spent a lot of time doing that at this point um uh, maybe just to bring it back to uh, the chronolog- chronological order that we've just completely disregarded at this point um <laughs> i was interesting about what your thoughts were on i mean obviously were you how old were you when you got to the uh wait when did the adcc trials and won i qualified uh for the adcc trials uh age 20 it's pretty young. I mean, what were your thoughts on it at, at, at the time? I mean, that's uh, as a as a Brit, especially that's huge. Yeah, I believe that I was, um, and I may be mistaken, but I believe that I was the first ever Brit to qualify for the ADCC. I don't think I was the first ever Brit to compete in ADCC, um, you know, worlds in the in the finals. Uh, but I believe that I was the first ever to qualify. 
but I might be wrong on that. But that was in 2011 that I qualified in 2011 that I competed, mm. qualified as a purple belt and uh, competed as a brown belt. Yeah, you know, it was awesome. The ADCC was something that is, you know, for someone who's really interested in nogi, that is our, even if you're not, you know, it, it, it's this crazy thing with the ADCC where the, the IBJJF, the worlds are massive, the Mundials are massive, World Nogi, Pan Ams, all of Europeans, these are all the biggest tournaments. And then you have ADCC, which is just, it's in another level. It is the Olympics, the Olympics of grappling. It is the Olympics of grappling. So, you know, to qualify for that when I was um, when I was twenty years old and competing, that was yeah, it was awesome. And is that still? I, I mean, I know that ADCC is still your goal. I, you're right. I have listened to a few podcasts uh, with you on. Um, I mean, I do kind of wonder though if that's your goal at the moment. You do see that as such a big thing. Um, Obviously, you've had a couple of things like injuries and stuff, but why has that not been a a, a huge focus if it's such a, an important event yeah. to be part of? Yeah, it's a good question, and you know, it's something that I um, that th- that I certainly have a regret about. Um, I think when you qualify on your first attempt uh, at that sort of age, you take for granted your ability to get there. So in the years afterwards, obviously, since uh, 2011, we've had uh, 13, 13, 15, 17, 19. So there's been four events. And uh, all of the dates just happened to land on days that I was doing other things. So I remember one of the European trials landed on this date that I was doing um, one of my first big commentary jobs for an MMA organization, which would unfortunately go bust. But they had this massive show in Finland. Um and uh, I just said, oh, you know, I'm going to do this. And then, uh, you know, other events came along. So, for example, it, it was very unfortunate. Um, the 2017 trials, European trials, whilst I was doing quintet, I thought, you know, this massive show quintet or I go to the trials and I pick quintet and I don't regret doing that one. Um mm. So, yeah, it was kind of like that. I I, I did try to qualify for the uh, – uh, I went to European trials in 2008. 14 trying to qualify for the 2015 event and during my second match i blew my knee out so that was Mm. that was uh the end of that run for me um i went back to trials in 2019 and i weighed in at 91 kilos fully clothed for the under 99 division which was just really stupid and competed against some bigger (laughs) guys that i wasn't able to defeat and then, uh, you, you know, unfortunately, uh, my Pecter squads came two weeks before the trials, putting me out of that, which was very, very upsetting. And then kind of to rub, I'd say to rub salt into the wound, but sort of to, to, to take my wound and amputate the entire limb. The, they have announced the second European trials for the 2020 ADCC, and it falls on the only day of the year that I have already booked which is my sister's wedding which i am officiating so <sighs> that that when, man when i can't saw really, that i can't was, really get out of that one uh, it's devastating man it really is because i think i'm you know I'm, I'm kind of just hoping that adcc changes the date maybe um because that that really sucks um or i have to force my sister and her fiance to break up one of those two things <laughs> uh but yeah that would be a real shame because i'd love to i think that this um 
you know, I know Mo Jassim, who is running the ADCC. He ran the last one. He's running this one. He said that this is going to be his last one. Uh, you know, he's really taken ADCC mm. to the next level. And I think that this event is going to be, I think that there's a good chance that this event will be, um, you know, you know, from, from what I, I, I hope it isn't. I hope that events continue to be really great, but there's a good chance that this event could be the greatest ADCC that will ever exist. You know, I, it, it, it's the way he he's so serious and he's putting so much work into this and, you know, it, it, it's looking quite incredible. You know, when I competed in the ADCC and uh, the event that I competed in 2011 was in Nottingham and there was maybe a thousand people there, if you're lucky. Uh, you know, he's he's going to sell out like 10,000 tickets in this incredible arena and it's going to be insane. So this is the ADC CC that you want to be at and uh, it's going to be um, very, very upsetting if I'm unable to get there. And then it's going to be another two years. And, you know, by the ne- time the next one will come around, I'll be 33. I'll be in my physical peak, hopefully. Uh, but, you know, if I'm not able to do well at that one, then it's going to be it's th- it's going to start to become a bit of a struggle. So. I don't have long left uh, in, 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 you know, I don't have many, I may have a, a few years, but I don't have many ADCCs left. So uh, it's very disappointing that I might not be at mm. this one. And, well, I mean, I uh, don't want to put too much of a downer on the note, <laughs> but obviously you've had a few, a, a number of issues with different injuries. Now, I won't ask you to go through them all, but even the ones you said there, I know that doesn't cover even some of the major ones or one major one at least um they've obviously impacted you quite heavily i mean has that shaped your outlook on the sport and i mean how have you sort of overcome those issues yeah you know so i you know i had a one of the main issues that kind of uh messed up a lot of my early to mid 20s was my back injury i've kind of got that under control now um just after the aj fight i had a polaris 2 i had a surgery on my right shoulder for a torn labrum um and that again you know they're just you, you recover fine and you heal and it's not an issue but you have to take time out and six months out of competing is a long period of time and these add up uh and then I was sort of in the best physical condition that I'd ever been in, to be honest with you, because my prioritizing of health and recovery and and uh, and and everything like that. You know, I went into the the last squads event with no niggles, with no injuries. So the, to get injured during that event and for it to be at a critical time and for it to have such an impact on on everything moving forward is, uh, you know, something that I'm still dealing with now. I certainly haven't. Um, I haven't closed the chapter on my pec injury yet. Hopefully by January, February, that would have happened. Uh, but yeah, it's, it. you know, injuries are a part of, um, they're a part of the sport. Unfortunately, um, you do your best to avoid them. There's some genetic components. I think a big part of it, probably my, I, I, I don't think that I am super injury prone or let's put it this way. I think that I'm injury prone and I think that I've reduced my, um, likelihood of being injured significantly through physical training and becoming strong. And the gym work that I do um, has meant that my I am no longer injury prone. The, the reason why I think that I am, uh, uh, that I was predisposed to injuries beforehand was due to the fact that I didn't play a lot of sports as a kid. I think that this has a huge factor on your, um, on your physical, um, 
readiness and your yeah your development and your propensity to be injured and your you know all of that stuff i think mm. um training wrestling gymnastics or stuff like this makes a big big difference in your you know the the people who i know who just never get injured are people who played a lot of sports when they were kids but they're not too much where they got messed up as kids and you know it, it's it's finding that balance so i kind of started jujitsu uh, young enough that I never got injured. Then as I moved into my late teens and uh, my early 20s to mid 20s, I was very injury prone. And then through physical training and training more intelligently, I became much less injury prone. Uh, and then to be hit with this uh, now um, is frustrating. But, you know, it, it, it's just part of the game and everyone has to deal with that. For some people, they, they may get a career ending injury. So far, touch wood, that, that hasn't happened to me yet. I, um, I'm, I'm curious then was, was, uh, cause we haven't actually t talked about your strength training, which is sort of legendary in its own right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, your gym is so awesome. Um, yeah, we, me, me and Robbie both have your instructional, uh, for sandbag training. Oh, cool, so. man. <laughs> Not to disrupt this one too much. Um, no. I think your, your gym at home is so pervasive that my mum even found, had no idea that I knew who you were, which is like, look at this guy's gym. Look at this <laughs> ridiculous amount of stuff he's got. I was like, oh yeah, if I can know this guy. <laughs> yeah it is uh i'm very very proud of that that's something that has grown that's like my baby to be honest with you uh yeah. um i go in there when, when whenever i see someone kind of knocking the weights together or mistreating them i get i give them a really really stern look because <laughs> that's kind of like my baby i'm very proud of her <laughs> but yeah, yeah sorry, carry on. Uh, no no absolutely <laughs> and and you should be uh, by by all means um but you know was was the was the move towards strength training was that something that you know you've been interested in for a while uh even you know as you progress through your jiu-jitsu journey or did it actually come out of sort of your injury proneness as you said in your 20s yeah no great question so um if i first really got into it um, when I was about 16, 17, so quite young, I read dinosaur training and I was given some advice about physical training. You know, when I was 16 years old and I was competing in adult divisions, I weighed about 60 kilos. You know, I was very small and I was very weak. And, um, it's very frustrating when that happens and all of these big guys beat you up, even though they're worse than you at grappling. So I really just wanted to get bigger and stronger to beat these people up. And, and, and I got interested in strength training. Um, and that was sort of, I, I would just train. Uh, to, to keep myself in the best shape I kind of it, it was it was very much just to uh, supplement my grappling when I got to when I injured my back I think I, I kind of feel when I injured my back uh, I couldn't I couldn't handle the volume of um, grappling training that a lot of the highest level athletes were doing. You hear about the Mendes, uh, Mendes brothers at the time and the Meow brothers would take over. And, uh, uh, but you hear about them training for six, seven hours a day and I just couldn't do it. My back couldn't handle it. So what I thought is if I can't keep up with them in terms of putting the hours on the mat, then maybe I can balance that advantage out by being stronger than them. So that was a big part of what made me lean into the strength training a bit more. Um, uh, and, and, and yeah, you know, that, that, that's a big part of, of my life now. I really love it when I can't do it. I don't, you know, I get upset. I like being strong and I like, uh, and, and, and it's a lot of fun and it keeps everything exciting. And I believe it can improve your performance on the mats as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's obviously um, quite a large part of your brand now. But yeah, it is, yeah. What, I f- what I find interesting is that um, I feel like there's quite a historical link between grappling, although I suppose that would have been more wrestling than jujitsu and yeah, strength training and grappling. There's quite a historical link between that. Um, yeah. It's quite interesting that you found that quite naturally and then but it's weird also that this whole relationship is kind of disintegrated with modern jujitsu. Yeah. Perhaps it's coming back now. You're absolutely spot on. And, uh, you, you know, you're almost taking the words out of my mouth. Uh, one, one of the things that I really fell in love with when I first got into strength training was the old time strong men who were just, you know, pre pre steroids. It was just about training and, 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 and they, they had limited equipment and, you know, grip was very important and being strong was really important and they were all wrestlers. So naturally grappling or wrestling, because that was, you know, wrestling was the primary form of grappling, uh, wrestling and grappling had this very linked deep connection with strength training and strongmen. And the reason why that became so disconnected is because of the way that Brazilian jiu-jitsu or Gracie jiu-jitsu was branded. The whole marketing angle was that it was the smaller weaker guy defeating the bigger stronger guy that was so you know you couldn't the gracies couldn't come out you know what why did hoist gracie fight in the ufc why didn't hickson because hickson was jacked right yeah <laughs> hickson was a jacked big jack shredded you know and he lifted weights and he trained and he worked out um so it, it even when even when jiu-jitsu was, um, in, you know, in its early days, the strength and conditioning side never, you know, it, it, it certainly wasn't as, uh, it wasn't as widespread and as utilized as it was in a place, you know, in wrestling and stuff in places that are big for wrestling, such as, uh, Russia and America in Iran and places like that, the, the wrestling is, culturally uh linked with the strength training and you know americans like to be big and strong and the russians are always you know kettlebells and vodka and lifting weights and being strong <laughs> and uh and um you know iranians had you know the, the houses of strength and the clubs and the you know again it, it, it was all part of the culture of the area brazil was very laid back and you know the guys would like to look look good but wouldn't necessarily be super strong athletic guys so the 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 area that brazilian jiu-jitsu developed was a place that was a little bit less you know intense strength conditioning that you might see from russia or america so i think that's had something to do with it i think the fact that the gracies used this marketing angle of the smaller weaker guy even though they were doing strength training the entire time they couldn't tell anyone that because that would go directly against their branding you know the gracies the early Mm. gracies were masters of branding masters of marketing um so for that reason uh you would say to someone i think that you should lift weights it's going to make uh it's going to be better for you and they go oh man you know strong people are and 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 it's not to say that that isn't true jiu-jitsu does allow the smaller better grappler to defeat the bigger uh stronger worse grappler but guess what the bigger stronger better grappler beats the smaller weaker better grappler every day of the week so um and we are seeing that at the highest level and and and, and uh you know it's starting to come back now and you know that's part of what i see as my 
mission a little bit is to to reconnect the um the, the, the that physical culture with the physical combat yeah i mean it, I, I find it interesting you've got the the brand of jiu-jitsu which is the anti-strength and the brand of strength together and and i think you i think the strength training is coming back to jiu-jitsu i mean uh, there's more and more things on uh fanatics for example with videos of strength training um there's the video from pavel uh that's the one that's the russian name i didn't want to give a stab um (laughs) uh is that i mean there's your own stuff and there's also people like grapple machine and rob nitman who are obviously putting out a lot of material um now i am a little conscious of time um crack on crack on on. yeah yeah okay okay cool cool um well you mentioned that that's your mission to sort of um change the view on strength in jiu-jitsu um linking to that i mean you also said earlier that you've probably only got a couple more adcc's left in you do you know what the goal is after that um is it related to strength is it something else yeah no it's it's you know it's related to grappling it's related to jiu-jitsu i don't actually use the term jiu-jitsu very often i really use grappling a lot more um Mm. that broad term that's what i consider what i do i'm a grappler i'm not a bjj guy even though i am a bjj guy of course um yeah you you know so one of the things i want to do is is get that reconnect between uh grappling and um strength strength training because i think that it's something that you know, they, they, they belong together. Uh, but my main goal and mission, life mission is to, is to help grow the sport and, 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 uh, increase awareness of the sport, bring more money into the sport. You know, I just feel like I'm, uh, I think that we're very early on in the days of jujitsu and that's what I'd like to do. You know, that's what I'd like my, my, uh, my legacy. I can die a happy man if I have helped push the sport that I love in the correct direction in any capacity in terms of the, the, the specifics you know, I'm 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 30 now. I'm turning 31 this month. You know, I'm not I'm not super old, but I'm not super young. I've got plenty plenty more years of competition, hopefully in me. Uh, maybe uh, five or six years at the highest level, perhaps. Uh, but we will have to see how it goes. How technology gets on, then give me some bionic arms and knees. <laughs> um, but you know, my my goal really is to continue doing the sort of stuff that I am doing to increase. You know, again. To, to try and spread jujitsu and increase awareness to jujitsu and, 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 and the strength side of it as well. Eventually opening up a gym and using that as a central hub to be able to continue to, to, to do what I'm doing at the moment. And then as well as, you know, more specifically in the short term in the next couple of years that to, to do as best I can in the competition scenes as well. Of course. Have you ever had any plans of competing in, in strength based? Um... Oh yeah. Good Whoa. question. Good question. Uh, it, it's not something um, I, I've considered it in the past. There was a time where I was doing a lot of uh, strongman, um, sort of modern, stro- contemporary strongman stuff. Uh, the gym that I was training at, there was lots of competing strongmen and I was really holding my own with, against a lot of them. Mm. And I thought about competing in a, in a strongman tournament a few times, but because of my back issues, I couldn't deadlift anything. So every strongman contest would have a deadlift in and I would lose it every, you know, there'd just be Mm. no point me doing it. So I never did it in the end. Uh, At the moment, I have no real interest in doing anything like that. You know, the strength stuff itself isn't something that competing in strongman or powerlift, like powerlifting is out of the question. I'm not interested. Competing in strongman, 
nah, not not super interested. Uh, I'm, you know, I like lifting stones. It's something that I don't have to sacrifice a huge amount of time or effort to prepare for. I'm not competing against other people. Or you're just competing against yourself or competing against the stone. So that's uh, sort of in, in, in the strength world. That's kind of what my focus is, is to go and lift the historic stones and, 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 uh, and, and, and achieve those specific strength goals. Maybe in the future, I'd try something maybe post uh, a competitive BJJ career. I'd try something like arm wrestling or something like that. That might be a bit of fun, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not, you won't see me uh, competing in a powerlifting meets anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Maybe, maybe an idea for, for one of the Cleos events is including some kind of strength feat. Well, you know, uh, you, 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 you joke, but uh, well, two things for that one I've been wanting to do, I have loads of plans in my head for loads of stuff that I want to do. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, if I did everything, as soon as I thought about it, I'd have no, you know, it would all be shit. Uh, but I have, <laughs> I have a lot of ideas and eventually the right That's time good. comes out. And, you know, I just, uh, I was on, uh, doing Instagram stories today and, and someone was asking about something and, you know, something I've wanted to do for years, for example, was to, to run a camp, uh, uh, like a seminar weekend camp and, um, and, and he kind of jogged my memory about it. I'm like, I'm going to do this next year. It's going to be loads of fun. And another thing that I want, want to do at the next Cleos event is to have a challenge, strength challenge at Cleos, just like tucked away at the corner where, you know, a super heavy hammer, which of course, are you worthy? Can you pick the hammer up? Mm. And, you know, people pay a pound to try and pick the hammer up. And if you can pick it up, you get the pot or something like that. Uh, you know, just a little bit of fun to add on. Uh, but also something that I've always wanted to do is sort of to bring back the classic, um, you know, the, the classic Olympiads, you know, obviously back in the day, uh, the original Olympics, you wouldn't have a sprinter and a long jumper and a, and a, um, a discus thrower or a javelin thrower everyone would compete in all of the events and the champion would be the mm. person who won all of the events. So, you know, I'd love to run an event where you did, um, you know, a round of wrestling, a round of submission grappling, a hundred meter sprint, a javelin throw, a shop, you know, and doing all of these different things. I think it would be a really cool, uh, a cool different event. Well, the ancient pentathlon was a lot like that. There's a, a long jump, except you can use weights with it. There's a hundred, or there's a run, which isn't measured in meters, so it's a weird distance. Yeah. Um, wrestling, I have a feeling it was discus and javelin. I've always thought that's a really cool combination of bits yeah, to I, put together. I, yeah, I think it's a lot of fun, and I think, um, look, I... I guess you, you you kind of get the gist if you hear me talk about most things, but I'm more interested in making jiu-jitsu fun than I am mm. doing anything else with it. You know, I'm when, when we run Cleos, we run an event that is lighthearted and 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 easygoing and fun more than anything else. I'm not trying to run the English Open. I'm not trying to run the Europeans. I'm not trying to run a big tournament like that. I leave that to the IBJJF, or I leave that to the you know to Braulio and the British and 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 the Colson guys and the English. I'll let them do that. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to do stuff that's fun, that's entertaining. I want to run, you know, uh, Mario Kart tournaments and chess grappling and stuff like that. <laughs> that's what I want to do. That that is that, in my opinion, is um, how do you get more people in the sport? Is you make it fun and you do stuff like that. 
uh, are your expression facial expressions then when you're refereeing uh, an active choice <laughs> in trying to make the sport more entertaining or is that just you no that's organic unfortunately i just get <laughs> I, I just get super involved there's something about um there's something about being there where you're just like oh you know a few arm balls are going you're like oh damn you know and 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 one, one thing that i always kind of didn't like um you know, I'm a naturally expressive person anyway, and when it comes to jujitsu, even more so. And uh, one thing that I, I really don't like about IB, IBJJF tournaments and the the other, any formal tournament uh, is that the referees will stand in their suits. You like you can't move and you can't move in your suits anyway. Like, why are these guys wearing suits? They're standing there in their suits and they'll watch it and out, stop and stand up and do stuff. Where like. I feel you can't see what's going on from there. Someone's got someone's got someone in a guillotine. You've got to be under the mat. You've got to be looking up at their face to see whether they're still alive. And you've got to get down there and you've got to see the different angles. So, yeah. I love the videos of um, wrestling referees. I remember yeah. seeing one where the guys, <laughs> where the guys are like, like... They're right on the ground. They're turning around. He's got his head on the floor and he yeah. runs along just like... I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so many people send that over to me. So many people. <laughs> um Oh, hell, where do we go from here? Um, I, I did also want to wonder, I mean, getting back to the strength bit a little bit, um, why why the stones? Yeah, the, the, the stones was... The stones were sort of... Uh, man, the stones are awesome. I, I It doesn't even matter how I got into them because once I kind of found out about them, there's something just... Uh, there's something magical about them. These are... There's something quite cultural about them, I think. So, so stone stone lifting is something that every single culture in 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 the entire world would at one point have participated in. These were the original barbells. These were the original implements that 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 um that people were able to to use to make themselves stronger, which is just like fucking awesome to begin with, like. <laughs> Mm. that humans before they had dumbbells and barbells everyone moaning that they don't have the equipment people used to just lift rocks and just you know move stuff like that to make themselves stronger and then all of these different cultures would use these stones for different things some would be for and and and, and that's sort of the beauty of it is that you travel around or you you research all of these different stones in all of these different countries and areas they, they they're not they're not all used for the same thing you know the the stone in Iceland is used to uh, test how strong you are, and how strong you are would uh, denote uh, what wage you got on the shipping boat and uh, where you would sit when you're rowing. If you can lift a big stone, you're getting paid the most amount of money and you're doing the most amount of work. And if you can only lift a little stone, you're in the kitchen and you're not getting paid anything. And, you know, another stone is connected to a myth. And, you know, you the, the, this story of how the essentially the devil has uh, stolen this man's soul and he agrees that if you can carry this stone around the, the, the grave, a hundred times then he'll release his soul and uh, people go there and they lift this stone and they try and carry it around to help free this man who still hasn't been freed um and then you know in scotland this stone is connected to this clan this is the clan that they would use if you could lift this stone then you were considered a man and you could join the clan and this stone would be used to settle arguments and this stone was used to punish people and then you go over to sweden and many of the stones over there were used to um 
they were called bachelor stones. If you want to marry the farmer's daughter, you've got to lift hmm. a stone or, uh, you know, the stone in Scotland that one of the stones I lifted, the Newton Moore stone, this was a stone that was on a, a, an old coffin path. And uh, when they were taking a body to, 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 um, to its final resting place, they would stop off and they'd eat cheese and they drink wine and they would lift the stone to show how strong they are. And they would do stuff like that to show off to each other. And, uh, it, you know, I've been researching, they have stones in Japan that are, uh, can, you know, they're, they're very often in shrines and they're connected to spirituality and you, you make mm-hmm. a wish or you ask a question. And if you lift a stone, then it will come. So if you lift a stone and it feels lighter than you thought it would be, well, then it will come true. And if it feels heavier than you thought it would be, well, then maybe it won't and stuff like that. So just like the, the cultural, spiritual, historical significance of these things is just so cool. And then you get to go there and you get to you get to travel back in time for a minute, you know, where you, you go put your hands on a stone that is a hundred years old or is 500 years old or could even be older. And one, you know, you've traveled back in time testing yourself on this implement that was tested on, uh, on people hundreds of years ago, but also you, 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 you put your name in the imaginary book of this stone, you know, when you go mm. and lift this stone that was lifted by this legendary strong man and, been lifted by all of these other men throughout history and now it's been lifted by you as well so there's just something about it which is uh it it, it's almost intoxicating and uh, at the same time you get the lift weights as well so couldn't be cooler there is a fascinating comparison then between stones if they have been used by all cultures in past and um well i suppose more folk wrestling than submission grappling but grappling nonetheless i mean wrestling is the oldest sport everyone does it in their own way and it's almost something i'm a little i wish jujitsu had a little more of since listening to um have you listened to the hero with a thousand holds his podcast i know i know of him yeah yeah, it, yeah I, it's something i it's something that i feel jujitsu kind of i wish it had more of this sort of cultural ancient relevance but it's almost so far away but nonetheless i, I it kind does. of digress it, it, it in, does in, no 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 let let, yeah. let let me stop you there wish no more we we when we participate in grappling we are in the same way that we are connected through a stone to the past and to everyone who's who's lifted that stone before us and after us when we grapple we are connected to the past as well you know obviously humans don't last as long as stones do but when when you grapple Grappling is a style of wrestling. It is connected to all of the folk styles of wrestling. You can follow the lineage of what we do through the Gracies, to Maeda, to Judo, to other martial arts, you know, back to everything in the same way that we are connected to uh, everything through our common ancestors, single-celled amoeba. We are connected through grappling as well to a common ancestor who also grappled. Uh, so, so even though our particular division, in the same way that humans separated from the uh, the the family tree, so to speak, of species so many hundreds of thousands or million millions of years ago just like we've separated off of that branch of of the tree of life so has brazilian jiu-jitsu separated from the branch of wrestling and grappling throughout all the time and culture but we are very much still connected so uh the, our particular branch of of grappling or wrestling may be very new maybe only a hundred years old but our lineage goes all the way back to the beginning i mean um, that is beautifully put 
I'm going to record that and just every time I feel sad, if there's a lack of culture in jiu-jitsu, I'm just going to listen to that again. It's it's it, honestly it's it's one of the reasons why I love uh, why I love grappling. I do believe I think that there's uh and 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 you know I, I I'm aware that I could be. I could just be being biased and you know, I think that grappling's the greatest thing because it's what I do, but you see someone play football, you see someone play tennis, you see someone play golf, these things just do not have that connection to our past, to our history, to our ancestry, through cultures, through the world. Um I'm not sure if you've read uh um The Last Wrestler or The Last Wrestlers by uh, Marcus Trower. Trower, I believe, uh, who who very very sadly passed away relatively recently. He was a UK based uh, Brazilian jiu jitsu guy. Actually, originally started with with wrestling, and passed away, I believe, in 2015. And it was very 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 sad to find that out recently. I was recommended this book. It's absolutely a fantastic book, and I think you should read it. The Last Wrestler or The Last Wrestlers by Marcus Trower, I believe it is. And um, he 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 searches through the cultural relevance and significance. And you know, he was based down in Brighton. Honestly, check it out; it's wicked. And uh, I read it over lockdown, and I thought I want I need to get this guy on the podcast. You know, this is awesome. And then to, found out that he was no longer with mm. us, and sadly. Uh, but you know, a really really great book um, and a great legacy that he's left behind with that so uh yeah you, you, you do not think because what we do is is a hundred years old that we're not connected to everyone else who who grapples and wrestles because we are i like that i mean i, I have seen interesting there's always that very famous uh greek statue of the um pancration wrestlers it does just go to show that um you know khabib's um revolutionizing mma grappling at the moment but it's not it's still not brand new man i've got a uh, i've got my i've got my coin that i wear or that i wear sometimes with a that's 2300 years old coin uh from ancient greece that has uh heracles doing a guillotine on the nemean lion there's nothing new under the sun brother you know that's why that's why i love I, I i like those old techniques as well where you can you know there's some techniques that you'll see some stuff that we use today uh that you'll see on ancient roman and greek pottery and stuff like that and you go man we 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 are connected i did see um i was in greece last week and i did find a uh, a relief of a man being guillotined by a centaur there you go don't know what the centaur relevance is but <laughs> <laughs> look cent- centaur centaurs might have to uh you know if centaurs have to grapple they're going to grapple just like the rest of us i mean they, they it would be slightly <laughs> different you you i think you'd be best off with a rear naked choke i think on a centaur We hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please consider subscribing to the podcast and checking us out on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram under the name Combat Thoughts. We'll see you next time.